turn with me to the Old Testament book of the Psalms, and we're going to look at Psalm 77. Psalm 77. All right, if you have a Bible and you don't know where the book of Psalms is, you can just open it up to the middle, and generally you'll be in the Psalms when you do that. If you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, I have my own personal copy of the Pew Bible, and you don't know where to go, you're going to be on page 671. All right, now how much easier can we make that? Okay, and feel free to use those Bibles. They haven't been used, uh, so they are uh, perfectly okay to use. All right, Psalm 77. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for your guidance as we go through this psalm. May we be encouraged in Jesus, your most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I would like to compare our daily Bible reading program to a trip that I took out west. Now, I've referred to this many, many times, but I want to focus on the fact that when you take a trip, you take a road trip, um, and you do what we did when my twin brother and I took a tent and threw it in the car and said, we're going to go to California and back, and we have only 10 days to do it. And we know it's going to be like a 7,000-mile trip. You get in your car and you, you rush. You keep the speed limit, of course. But you rush across the Great Plains and, you, and, and then you go to these places in the West. And, and um, you only have the time to sit and pick points of interest where you're going to spend some time. You only have time to do that on a few occasions. So when we got out to Mount Rushmore, we said, this is a great place. We're going to spend some time here at Mount Rushmore. When we got to Yellowstone National Park, we said, oh, this is a wonderful place. We're going to just slow down a bit, and we're going to just soak in as much of Yellowstone National Park as we can. When we got to San Francisco, we did the same thing in Lake Tahoe uh, before we returned and, and several other spots. But the rest of the trip, we had to really move and keep moving. And so I would like you to understand that in the daily Bible reading, if you're going to read the Bible through in a year, God's going to use that information. He's going to, he's going to give you a, point, a reference point or a picture in your mind that's going to help you. Uh, it's, not a wasted, it's not a wasted spiritual exercise. But there are times when you're going to be reading the daily Bible reading and you're going to come across a chapter or a passage in the Bible and you're going to want to sit on it for a while. You're going to take it and look at it carefully. You're going to want to walk through it slowly. And I think Psalm 77 should be one of those passages of Scripture. It certainly was for me. Now, keep in mind... Our goal is to jump into any passage of Scripture that we read. Our goal is to look at it and say, how does this passage of Scripture relate to me personally? Can I identify with it? And so Psalm 77 should be one of those passages of Scripture. All you need to do is pick a pronoun, and you're the person of the psalm. I like verse 1, which begins with, I cried out to God with my voice. I cried out to God. Have you ever cried out to God with your voice? 
We like to pray silently. We like to pray corporately, and we don't usually raise our voice. But have you ever been so agitated and so concerned and so upset about a problem that you have actually cried out to God audibly? You said, oh, God, I need your help. I need you in this problem. Well, that's how the psalmist describes what he's doing. I cried out to God with my voice. Now, we're going to go through this sentence by sentence. Not going to take long to do it. But I want to remind you that one of the things that I like to do is I like to highlight my Bible or highlight certain passages of Scripture with what? You all know, four colors, four colored pencils. I learned to use these things when I was just a little kid. And my mother would, buy, my dad would buy me coloring books and uh, books to, and I just, you learn to use these colored pencils and I'm attached to them. And I find four of them to be very useful whenever you are studying the Bible, especially when you are in a problem situation and you don't have a mind that is able to look at every little detail. You've got to have quick answers. There's only four things you need to know. You need to know what the problem is or the challenge that you're facing. And I always highlight that in yellow. You need to know what the human response or the natural response is to that. And I highlight it in orange. You need to know what God wants you to do. I highlight that in green. It's a color for life. It's a good application color. And blue is our thinking color, right? It's our cognitive color. And so you and I need to know why not to do the natural thing or the human thing or rise above it. Why does God want us to do this instead? And the blue gives us all the answers to all the questions we have as to why. Now, I spent this moment giving you this illustration this morning because... I want you to know what this passage looks like after I've highlighted it. Now, I know you can't see it from back there. I will show it to you for those of you who have eagle eyes. I know somebody in the back is going to say, oh, I see that. I see all those colors there. But you can't see it. So let me just simply say this to you for the most part, that I could only highlight one phrase in yellow. The challenge. One phrase in yellow. But the bulk of verses 2 through 9 are highlighted in orange. This psalmist is spending a lot of time describing his attitude. He's describing his whole outlook as to what the challenge or the problem is. But then he gives us three things that he does. Three things that he does to help him through this problem. And they are listed in verses 10, 11, and 12. And I don't know, those of you in front might be able to see a little bit how much of this psalm is in blue. Almost everything is in blue from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. That's how gracious God is. God gives us plenty of reasons why we should do the right thing. God gives us plenty of reasons to help us out of our mess and our emotional uh, discouragement and our despair and our doubting and our depression and our deep distress. He gives us many reasons why we should rise above it. So quickly, let's go through this. 
passage of Scripture. I think you'll find that it will not take much time at all. I cried out to God with my voice. And then there's a little line there. I'm reading from the New King James Version. He says, I cried out to God with my voice. And then as if you didn't hear what he said, he says, to God with my voice. He's emphasizing what he did. Yes, I've, I've cried out to God with my voice. And guess what? He heard me. He heard me. Now, that's all he says. We know the psalm is going to be about this. And then, after giving to us this information, how he is really, really praying to God, he says these details. He has these details in verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. And then he gives you a little information about how intense this prayer has been. He says, my hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. I prayed all night and I couldn't stop praying. I begged the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord all night. My soul refused to be comforted. So he's really intensely in prayer. And you know he has a problem. I wish he would give us more information. He did not give us any more information. But when he said, in the day of my trouble, you and I speculate. We can say to ourselves, I wonder what the problem is that he's going through. What is his challenge? Is he, he's Asaph or a family of Asaph, which were famous uh, people who served in the temple. And Asaph is... Uh, uh, is he talking about a national problem with Israel that has affected him personally? Is he talking about uh, a job loss? Is he talking about a health problem? Is he talking about uh, a personal, spiritual, individual problem? What's he talking about? He doesn't tell us. But you can put yourself in there, can't you? You can say, I can identify with him. I know what it is to cry out to God with my voice in frustration. I know what it is to be awake all night trying to get an answer from the Lord and trying to get him to, to hear me and, and uh, respond to me in some way. Now, we have a little hint in verse 3 as to what the... He doesn't tell us what the problem is. But we have a little hint in verse 3 as he goes into more details about the situation. He says, I remembered God and was troubled. And I say, whoa, we got a problem here. When we remember God, we should not be troubled. We should be happy. Right? But he says, I remembered God and I was troubled. I complained and in my spirit I was overwhelmed. The more I shared my problem with God, the more bitter I became. The more I shared my problem with God, the more overwhelmed I became. The more I shared my problem with God, that word overwhelm can include his doubting, his discouragement, his depression, his despair, his deep distress. You could use any of those terms. This guy is having a serious problem. In verses 4, 5, and 6, he gives us additional details about the intensity of his distress. He says, you hold my eyelids open. I can't sleep, Lord. And he blames the Lord for that. 
You hold my eyes open. I can't sleep. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I can't even think and speak straight because of the difficulty that I'm facing. I have considered, and then he says, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. How many times when we are having a problem or we are engaged in some challenge, do we go back to the good old days? Oh, I wish things could be like they were yesterday. I wish I could have my life back the way it was a year ago. Oh, I wish I could be 18 all over again. I wish for those good old days. I call to remembrance in verse 6, my songs in the night. I wish I could go back to the time when I could sing in the nighttime. And notice what he says. I am really, really working it hard at a solution to this problem. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. I am wrestling with the meaning of this day of trouble. I am wrestling with the solution to this trouble. You can put all of that on. Your little journal or the notes that you write in the margin or the little notes that you take when you read a psalm like this. He's in a bad way. He's having a difficult situation. Now I want you to notice verses 7 through 9. Because he gives us additional hints and additional details about the intensity of his distress. And notice that he comes up with six questions. Now even though we don't know what the problem is going to be. We now know where he is having his big issue. And his big issue is with God. He's upset with God. He doesn't know what to think about God. He's not sure how God is going to respond. Notice the questions. Here are the six questions that he gives. He says, number one, will the Lord, everybody together, cast off forever? forever, forever? That's question number one. Now, what should the answer to that question be? No. <laughs> but that's not what he's thinking. He's saying, will the Lord cast off forever? And question number two, and will he be what? Everybody together, favorable no more. What should be the answer to that question? No. He is going to be favorable. He isn't going to cast off forever. But that's not where the psalmist is. Question number three, has his mercy ceased forever? What should the answer to that question be? No. Has his promise failed forevermore? What should the answer be? No. Has God forgotten to be gracious? No. Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? No. The answers to all six of those questions should be no, but the psalmist is wrestling with those questions because he thinks that maybe the answer is going to be yes. He wraps it up in verse 10. By the way, verse 10 is where it starts to change. But he wraps it up in verse 10. In verse 10 he says, And I said, this is my anguish. Now, if you have a modern paraphrase like the New Living Translation, most translations have this 
I think, easy to understand. But if you have a new one, like the New Living Translation, you might be a little confused as to whether verse 10 is where the change occurs or whether verse 11 is where the change occurs. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is he clearly indicates where the change is occurring. But he says in verse 10, he said, And I said, this is my anguish. Now, if I were to make a conclusion as to what he says about this, I would say the problem is that he feels that God has abandoned him. Do you you all agree? He he tends to have that. He feels that God has abandoned him. Or maybe you would want to put it this way. He feels that God has given up on him. Or maybe he feels that God has written him off. Or even worse, God is just totally against him. Now, before we go further, I want to give you a quick illustration here because he's he's guilty of so many things. He's guilty of doubting. He's guilty of discouragement. I don't want to use the word guilty. Um, You know, this happens to all of us. And you and I need to remember that we have very strong emotions because God created us with those emotions. And those emotions include anger and fear and and uh, anxiety and things like that. And they are not, believe it or not, they are not sinful in themselves. They are to be motivators. Those emotions are to be motivators. The Bible says be angry. If you're angry, okay, it's okay to be angry, but don't sin in your anger. And I would add anxiety, don't sin in your anxiety. Depression, don't sin in your depression. You see, fear, don't sin in your fear. That's what the Bible teaches because God created us these emotions to, to, uh, to motivate us to do what he wants us to do. And I, I will say this, the psalmist apparently is doing a pretty good job because well, however he thinks about God, he quickly changes his mind. He quickly changes his mind. So maybe he recognizes that emotion is not what it ought to be. Maybe his doubt is uh, bordering on the sinful. Maybe his depression is bordering on the sinful. Do you remember back in Genesis chapter 4? In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve had two children. The first one was named Abel, and the second one was named Cain. And you'll remember that the time came when they came, brought an offering of their first fruits of the ground to the Lord, and Cain brought... um, a, a, an an, Abel brought an animal from the flock and, and Cain brought something from the garden. We don't know the reason. We can speculate, but we don't know the reason why God was upset, except that if you read it in the Hebrew, you get some sense that the offering wasn't right that Cain gave, or the attitude wasn't right that Cain gave, that came, he came with. And so the Bible says the Lord respected Abel in his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering, and Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. He became angry, and he became depressed. Kind of like the psalmist here in Psalm 77. 
So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you just listen to me, if you do what you're supposed to do, if you will honor me, if you will worship me, you can read between the lines and add all of those. Will you not be accepted? Everything's going to be okay. If you do well, everything is going to be all right. But if you don't, if you allow your desire to fester and fester and fester and fester, it's going to rule over you and it's going to destroy you. And you know what happened. He didn't listen to what God has, was encouraging him to do. And his anger got the better of him. Well, the psalmist here is a great example of the anger not getting the better or his depression not getting the better of him. In verse 10, the Bible says, and I said, this is my anguish. God's against me. But... But I will remember, and maybe your translation just shows the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, I just, just want to say this in passing, if you're getting into deep study of that. When you, see, when you see, you know, take a concordance or a phrase concordance and look up the right hand of God and ask yourself the question, are all of the references to the right hand of God positive references or are they negative references? Well, when... When, um, when we have this song that's been written in Exodus chapter 15, when the children of Israel were rescued from Egypt, there's this constant reference to the right hand of God redeeming them, the right hand of God saving them, the right hand of God graciously dealing with them. So let's move on from that so that we go to the three things that he does. Number one, I will remember. Verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely, he emphasized it again, surely I will remember your works. Does he say works the second time? No, he says what? He says wonders. Because when I look at you, when I remember your works, I understand. When I look at them carefully, I see them as wonders. And he does two other things. He said, number one, I will remember your wonders of old. And in verse 12, I will also meditate on all your work. And he does a third thing there. What does he say he does third? And, see, also I meditate, and I will do what? I will talk, everybody together, I will talk about your deeds. Now, all those words, deeds, works, wonders, they're all an expression of positive things about God. Sometimes when we are in deep in despair and discouragement and trouble, we can't think anything positive about God. And God wants us to remember the good things. He wants us to think about the good things. Put it in our minds and just dwell on them. Chew them like a cow chews cud. And number three, he wants us to talk of all our good deeds. That's why it's good to give testimonies. That's why it's good to share the good things that God has done. God does not want us to keep them to ourselves. If we keep these things to ourselves, then we don't fall. It's not like a follow, complete follow through. You know what I mean? It's like me going to school and, and, uh, and studying, but the, Lord, but the teacher never gave me a test to figure out whether I've passed it or not, passed or know the material or not. See what I'm saying? 
And so those three things, I will remember, everybody together, I will remember, I will meditate, and I will talk. Everybody together, remember, meditate, and talk. That's all he says about what he's going to do. But boy, does he listen to what he says. And look at verses 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 and following. Here we go. Your way, O God. So here's, here's one of the first specific things he remembers. He says, your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Now, it's not in the deep, dark haunts of the earth. It's not in the abyss of hell. I only share those because when you're reading through Psalms in the daily Bible reading this week, you're going to run across those terms. Okay. That's what I said. It's not in a secular world. No, the way of the Lord is in the sanctuary. What's the word sanctuary means? Well, this is a sanctuary. It's been dedicated to the Lord. It's a place where we can come for refuge from the world around us. It's a place symbolically of safety, a place of peace. It's a place of rest. It's a place of righteousness. It's a place of holiness where you and I can get away from everything that just bombards us that's ungodly or unrighteous. And we can sit here and we can just enjoy worshiping the Lord in righteousness and holiness. And he says the way of the Lord is righteous. It's holy. He's not an ungodly God. He's not a tyrant. He is not a person who casts off forever. He is not a person who doesn't show favor any longer. He's not a person where his mercy ceases. He's not a person where his promises fail and he doesn't keep what he says. He hasn't forgotten to be gracious. And he has not shut up his tender mercies within him when he is angry. Wow. Now. The 13, 14, and 15 are general statements. It's a general, general, general statements. Nothing specific here. So let's just read through them real quickly. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary, who is so great a God as our God. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And I've already put my name there. I took the pronoun I and said this refers to me. And it does. So when he says, you have declared your strength among the people, my responsibility is to say, Lord, how have you, this, how have you declared your strength in my life? Now, everybody think for just a second. Think of that question. How has the Lord declared his strength in your life? Are you thinking of anything? Raise your hand if you can't think of anything. <laughs> See how sure I am that you can think of things? Absolutely. And looky here. You have with your arm redeemed your people. Here we are. We're born into this messy, sinful world that we live in. That's under God's curse. And God is able to lift us out of this sinful mess He's willing to straighten it out for us. He's willing to redeem us from it. Like one psalmist says, he has taken us out of the miry clay and set us on a rock. Has God done that for you? How many times has he taken you out of a sinful mess that you were in 
and redeemed you. But here's the final thing in verses 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, and we'll be done. Now, I just want to read this, but I want you to notice some of the words that are here. Because now he gets very specific. He says, I'm going to give you a specific illustration of what I've been thinking about that helps me put all of this in proper perspective as far as the power and the greatness of God is concerned. This is a worship experience par excellence. Notice verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. The waters saw you. He personifies nature. The waters saw you, O God. The waters not only saw you, but they were afraid. See how he builds one sentence upon another, one phrase upon another. The waters saw you, the waters saw you, and they were afraid. The depths also trembled. So now I get a picture of water, and I get a picture of the deep sea. Right? The depths. And then he says, the clouds poured out water, it rained. The skies sent a sound. There was thunder. Your arrows also flashed about. And he says, listen, so you don't understand. I'm personifying this. But, but the one thing I want you to understand, this is all God's doing. He's the one flashing the lightning. He's the one rumbling with the thunder. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. And there was a whirlwind there. And the lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Now notice, notice how he uses all these natural terms about nature. Water and depth and clouds and sky and thunder and lightning and, and whirlwind. And your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he takes me back to the time of Moses and Aaron, and he picks out a particular illustration in Israel. I want you to go back, and we're going to close with this. Go back to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. They've been released from Israel. God has protected them. And Pharaoh's after them. Pharaoh's army is in hot pursuit. And God stops Pharaoh's army there in the desert with his big pillar of cloud. This uh, big pillar. made a, It's a cloud pillar. And it's full of light. Lightning. And it's full of darkness. And all the Pharaoh can see is the darkness. And all the children of Israel can see is the light. <laughs> and it stands between Pharaoh's army and the Israelites until Moses, the Bible tells us in verse 21, stretches out his hand over the sea by God's direction and by a strong east wind all that night made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Now, you and I can read that. We've read it a million times. But if you ever just not just remembered it, but meditated upon it. I think of all the kids all night long. Mommy, why is there such... Why is there such ferocious. Why, why is the wind so ferocious? Why the thundering? Why the lightning? When will it stop? All night long. The Bible tells us that God used the wind all night long to turn the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. And when it came time for the children of Israel to march across the, the, the Red Sea, the Bible tells us that they looked at the wall of water on the left and the wall of water on the right. And as they were safely going through there, uh, now the, the Pharaoh is, is pursuing them. 
And you know the rest of the story. The point that he is making is God's wonderful works. I remember them. It got him out of his depression. Got him out of his doubts. Got him out of his despair. When he remembered the wonderful works of God. You're going to read in Psalms several times about the Red Sea. Because it's all through the Old Testament. There are references to the Red Sea you see. But the important thing that he's telling. He's giving us a great example of what we need to do. When we are overwhelmed. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are a God of power, and no one is great like you, and your, and your path is in the sanctuary. It's in holiness and righteousness and peace and mercy. All that we see around us is chaos. All that we see around us is sin. All that we see around us is a, is a society that is attempting to break its relationship with the Creator. Father, Thank you for this psalm. Bring us to a place where we can understand who you are and what you do. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.